Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once I, I thought I had it all figured out. Growing up in a, a church-going household blessed with most every advantage, I knew how the, the Christianity system worked, but I didn't care to know the God behind it. I spent years living my own reckless way, trying to avoid God by enjoying life. I was selfish, prideful, and angry. Thankfully, Jesus never gave up on me. I didn't think I'd cry until the end, but all right. (laughs) He never stopped loving and pursuing me, and I finally found that his way offered so much more fulfillment and joy. This is like going to become my thing now. I am certainly a work in progress, but now I follow Jesus, and whatever shortcomings I have, I know he's got my back. My name is Dave Page, and that's my story. Uh, the scripture this morning is uh, from Luke 5, 27 and, uh, to 32. That's on page 2006 of your pew Bible. And Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And I believe that's page 2286 of your pew Bible. Uh, first, the reading from Luke. Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And from Colossians, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. So as I mentioned, my name is Dave Page. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity. We are in the sixth and final week of our, our series called Share, What's Your Story? Where we've been talking about some, some practical evangelism, giving you tips and, and uh, providing you some guidance on how to construct your story of how Jesus has transformed your life so that we can tell others. <clears throat> um, as, I, as I was coming into this um, kind of last week, I, I was trying to think about what it, it paralleled to. And um, Did anybody watch the Olympics the last couple weeks? Um, anybody have a, a favorite event, just out of curiosity? Anybody heard of the modern pentathlon? Look it up. It is weird. Xavier's got this. Anyway, um, you know, in swimming and in track, they have uh, these individual races, but they also have relay races. 
And so if you've been with us the past couple weeks, you'll know that we had six weeks of, of this series, and there are six elders at Trinity. So I am basically running the anchor leg of this series, trying to, to bring it home, and for some of you, probably as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> um, so all the, uh, the previous week's podcasts are up on the, the website, and I'd encourage you to, to listen to them in full. But if you were away you know, for the last couple weeks or you're trying to catch up, let me see if I can bring everybody back up to speed over the last five weeks. July 24th, way back when, Tim Tien kicked us off by encouraging us to remember the beauty and the power of the gospel uh, when, we, when we were first grasped by it. When we reflect on the beauty and power of that, of that good news, we, we should have no choice. We should have no desire but to share it with other people. As Tim highlighted, studies show, though, that only about 2% of Christians really are active in sharing their faith um, for a variety of reasons, but one of them may be kind of fear and, and you know, I'm not sure what others are going to think of me, but Tim encouraged us to, you know, if we're going to be afraid of anything, let's be afraid of people's future without God. Our faith may be personal, but it's not private. In the following week, James taught us about divine appointments, and he reminded us that, as, as Jenna did, our enemy is a deceiver who wants us to get focused on the temporal, the temporary things in our life, the distractions of our everyday, so that we, we don't look for those opportunities to engage with people and, and share the light of Christ. God has situations in our everyday lives, and, and James encouraged us to be praying for them where, where we can experience God at work, and if we create some margin in our lives, those, those will start to show up more and more. Uh, you may have left that message thinking, okay, well, I'm not James, and I don't have stories like that, but as, as Ross kindly reminded us, <clears throat> I was, I was going to do like a Stuart Smalley thing, like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn people like me, um, for those that remember that, but... Uh, What Ross said is, I only need to be the me that God created me to be. Ross had us look at Paul's approach to evangelism, uh, being a Sherpa rather than a a drill sergeant, not barking the gospel at people, but gently guiding them towards the good news. Ross also talked about the three Ps of the the Sherpa toolbox. Anybody remember what the three Ps are? Preparation, patience, be prepared present. <clears throat> we can go back and listen to that again. Um, <clears throat> Keith continued two weeks ago um, giving us very practical steps on how to construct our story. Um, one of the key elements being people want to know results. If you're preaching to somebody that you went on this great diet and yada, 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 people want to know how much did you lose. So we've got to talk about how God has transformed our lives. Uh, he talked about our stories need to be clear concise, contextual, and considerate, and leave people wanting more, asking more questions. Many of us have incredible stories of God's transformation, and we must be able to articulate them clearly. Last week, uh, Fred told the story of Jesus' walk on the wild side through Samaria when he met the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus didn't just know the word of God. He was, a, he was a doer of the word, which is one of our core values here at Trinity. We don't want to just know what it says. We want to live it out. He was obedient to the will of his father in, in crossing any barrier that it took to reach people. Um, Jesus set that model for us, and Fred left us with the question of, who are the Samaritans in our lives that we may be avoiding? <clears throat> so to sum up, if you know Jesus, you've got a story to tell. You're praying for divine appointments and keeping a a special eye out for the Samaritans in your life. 
And you know you need to be prepared, patient, and present. You've got your 100-word story down pat. What's there left for Dave to talk about? Well, nothing. See ya. Have a good day. No. Um, I'm glad you asked. Um, So this morning, I'd like to try to try to round out this recipe looking at um, three ingredients. Um, my hope today and, and the prayer of the elders is that when we leave this series, you know, three, four weeks from now, three, four months from now, five, ten years from now, this does not become just another thing that we've heard. But sharing our story, the impetus for that and the ability to do that becomes a core part of our DNA as followers of Christ. <clears throat> and so we're going to look at three ways to hopefully make this sustainable for us as we leave here today. Uh, The first ingredient that we're going to cover is altering our worldview and how we look at people. Ingredient number one is having an eternal perspective. As we saw last week, Jesus was all about, you know, crossing those barriers, walking into potentially awkward situations uh, with the Samaritan as one, but there are, you know, plenty more scattered throughout the Gospels. Whoever he met, no matter where they were from, what their baggage was, what their story was, what moral failings they had, he always demonstrated an inclusiveness that was radical, if not heretical for the time. But why? What was the driver for, for why Jesus went out of his way to reach these people that you know, wouldn't be church people by, by most definitions? Well, God says that people are his most prized possession. And he says this a couple places in the Bible. But if we look at James 1.18, he says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and out of all creation we became his prized possession. In Psalm 8, David writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So of all the majestic, beautiful, intricate, complex creation that is out there that God put into place, we are, you are, people out there, they are his masterpiece. And he will go after them at any cost. Jesus didn't just say that, though. He he lived it. And, And Bill Hybels kind of sums it up like this. Think about how far God was, going, was willing to go to prove the point that there is nothing more valuable than people. During wearying hours when Jesus was face-to-face with unbelievable emotional turmoil and unthinkable physical torture as he paid for the sins of the world, both yours and mine, he demonstrated once and for all that accepting sin-scarred people is of ultimate worth in life. When the executioner stripped the clothes off his back and pounded his feet, and hands to a wooden cross with barbaric nonchalance, all Jesus could do was cry, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When we look at the story in Luke 5, we get a prime example of one of these characters in the Bible that Jesus was willing to go out of his way to reach, that he was willing to extend a hand of grace to. He gravitated towards these people, a man like Levi or or Matthew, and, and changed them. And their interactions where people were then transformed. So if we go back to look at at the the passage in Luke 5, we meet this guy, Levi, who is also called Matthew. Uh, He's a tax collector sitting at his booth, likely kind of doing his daily routine. Um, And if anybody's not aware, tax collectors back then were even more despised than 
sorry if anybody works for the IRS, but tax collectors are today. Um, they, were, they were greedy, they were corrupt, they generally worked for you know, a very wealthy person and had to collect a certain amount, um, but then once they met their quarter, they got to keep everything on top of that, so they had some uh, interesting incentives. We don't get too many details on Matthew's thought process, but we, we see what he did, what action he took when Jesus said, follow me. And it's it summed up in these seven words. He got up, he left everything, and he followed him. So if he was a typical tax collector, money was generally very important to him. And his buddies are probably looking at him thinking, you're going to give up this cushy gig to go follow this guy in rags with nothing to eat? And you know, wh- what's going on up there that's, that's causing him to do that? But he discovered in, in interacting with Jesus that everything that he had built his security on, his, his finances, his job, his friends, was of nothing in worth compared to what Jesus offered. Jesus offers life that is better, greater, and eternal. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that. As, as Tim reminded us in that first week, when we really go back and grasp the beauty and the power of what Jesus offers us, we want to share it. And that's exactly what Matthew did next. In verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. In, in the account, the parallel account in Matthew, it says, Other disreputable sinners. Matthew got it. He understood the Jesus thing. He was living it. He was bursting with joy. And he wanted other people to get it too. So what did he do? His strategy was to get his old friends, these tax collectors, these disreputable sinners, into the same room with Jesus and his disciples. Kind of mixing and matching, hoping that, that something's going to happen. Hoping that the disciples, the people that knew Jesus would, as Bill Hybel calls it, walk across the room and, and engage and, and share their story. Matthew could have t- taken a, a laissez-faire approach. He could have said, you know what, I, I know these guys need Jesus, but I'm sure somebody's going to come across their way. Fate Fate will take care of it, you know. It, it, I, I, don't, I don't have to get involved there. Especially because Levi wasn't a very mature believer. He didn't know all the theology. He didn't know the Bible front to back. He just knew this guy, Jesus. But he wanted to share it because he knew what Jesus could do and what Jesus had done in his life. He wanted to share that with these guys. He knew it was a matter of eternal significance. Do you realize that a person's eternal destiny can be influenced by your story, or your story, or your story? Yours, 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 mine. What if we long dated the lenses that we use to look at people? That we see their eternal trajectory rather than just their their here and now? How would that change how we engage with people and, and share our stories? So many of us, as I mentioned, have incredible stories of God's transformation, his healing, his deliverance in our lives. But some of you may be sitting there thinking, <clears throat> that story is kind of dull. I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, how this is going to draw people to Jesus. Well, that brings us to ingredient number two. Recognizing and relying on the power behind our story. And I'll give you a hint. It's not us. At the end of the book of Colossians in chapter 4, we see some of Paul's parting words to the church. In verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. 
Paul's intent in writing this letter was to, to bring the Colossian church back to, to being rooted in Christ. They were in an environment where they had a lot of competing religions casting influence into this very young church, and, and some of them were starting to waver, and Paul recognized this. And so one of the key pieces of advice that he gave them was, you need to devote yourself to prayer. You need to devote yourself to communicating with God. You need to enhance that relationship. You need to get to know him better. You need to increase that engagement frequency. But prayer for what? We see in verse 3 and 4, it says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So according to Paul, we should pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus, and when those doors open up, that God would enable us to proclaim that message well. Paul knew that the key to effective effective in evangelism, uh, being able to communicate that message well, clearly and concisely, it isn't hinged upon a miraculous story. It's not hinged upon great public speaking as you can see. Um, it's not hinged upon a, a kitschy catch line. It's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to drive the power of that story. It's fervent prayer for God's guidance and leading in those interactions and situations. It's his power working, working through us. In Acts 1, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. As followers of Jesus, he's given us his spirit to dwell inside us, an advocate to lead our path, to guide our conversations, to help us testify and reveal truth. But we have to pray for those opportunities and be sensitive to those promptings so that we can step into them and, and open up the opportunity for God to work. Even when it's something that is uncomfortable that he's nudging you into. So if you guys got here early for the breakfast, you heard a little bit about uh, the Rwanda ministry's latest trip. Um, I would be remiss if I was talking about the Holy Spirit and I, I didn't talk about my trips to Rwanda. So um, one of the, the most prominent times in my life where I, I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me was uh, the trip in 2014. Susanna mentioned uh, down there that... Um, Suzanne and my wife Sarah, a couple years ago, had started doing Bible studies for the women that were around the build site. Uh, just for a little bit of context, when we go there, we, we always um, partner with the community to uh, support the building of a house for a vulnerable family or, or individual in that community. And it's really cool to see everybody come out. I'm sure some people are getting paid, but other people just want to help out and, and, you know, engage in the party. Um, but the women kind of come out and usually just sit on the side, and so they got the idea to seize that opportunity and, and engage them in, in some, you know, simple Bible studies and illustrations. And so one day we were taking a break from the building, and this is, this is my third trip. I've been on three trips, and I've been at a lot of build sites. So you'll see that I'm a pretty dense guy in a minute. Um, I'm sitting there taking a break, having some water, and I see that the women are, are having their Bible study. They're all sitting there watching Susanna and Sarah uh, teach, and the men who we were working with are just sitting there, having a little small talk, kind of just sitting around waiting for us to get started again. I look to my right, women in Bible study. I look to my left, men sitting around. Hmm. So I get this, you know, feeling, 
Dave, why aren't you getting off your rump and, and going and talking to these guys and engaging them and teaching them and praying with them? And then for the next minute or so, I kind of got in, in a little conversation with God about all the reasons why that was a bad idea. Um, you know, I was tired. It's hard work on the build site. Um, we didn't have anything prepared. These guys, you know, may have thought it was silly. I don't know what their reaction is going to be. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we were there to build, right? We should just get back to work. You know, that, that, was, that was kind of the end of it. But I couldn't shake the nudging. And, and as I was sitting there, it just started getting stronger. And so I, I finally got up, and I walked over, you know, to Greg and, and Fred, who were there, and I kind of floated this idea. And, and the three of us walked over, and we just say, hey, guys, can we talk to you? You know, and we started having this great little, you know, mini study Many prayer time, we, um, we invited people to pray for salvation. We're not sure, you know, if there was any direct heart change there. But, you know, God used that opportunity because we were willing to step into it and, and be responsive to his, his promptings to do things that we are never going to fully realize on this side of eternity. It's, it's his power that reaches into and changes hearts. That, that's not on us. That's not our, our responsibility. We just need, and thank goodness it's not, but we just need to be available and open to stepping into those opportunities, allowing him to unleash, unleash the real power of our stories. <clears throat> so the third ingredient, um, the last piece I want to leave you with is, is relatively simple, but it can be a little unsettling, and it's not something that people uh, like to talk about a whole lot. But ingredient number three is, is the sense of urgency, the urgency of eternity. If we believe what the Bible says, then we have to acknowledge that there is uh, both a very real eternal heaven and eternal hell. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 25. Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. John talks about it in the book of Revelation, actually, in, in chapter 12, like Jenna was quoting. The Bible is, is very clear. Every person who walks this earth has an eternal destiny. And that destiny is determined by whether or not they place their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. All who believe will spend eternity with their creator in, in paradise, a place of um, unimaginable joy um, without any sorrow or pain or suffering. All who do not believe will spend eternity from God in a place without anything good, a place of endless suffering. I hope you know I don't bring this topic up lightly. But we cannot go through our daily lives interacting with people who don't know Jesus and rationalize to ourselves that somehow it's just going to work itself out. It's not what the Bible says. There are people right this second that we know, that we interact with, that we have relationship with, that do not believe that Jesus is who he says he was. They may be our family members, our friends, our coworkers. Uh, it could be the young woman making your coffee in the morning, the older gentleman in the apartment right next to you, um, the young 
guy or gal cutting your hair. As um, a, a wise woman in our congregation reminded me last week, you don't have to go far to find these people. They're all around us. People that desperately need to hear this truth about Jesus. There's this guy named Penn Gillette of, of Penn and Teller. Um, you guys, some of you have probably heard of him. Um, he's an entertainer, a magician, comedian, yada, yada, yada. He's also a very hardcore atheist. Um, and so you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. But um, he, he tells this story, and he has this quote that may sound a little bit harsh, but I think there's some, there's some truth in, in it for us. He talks about this interaction with a guy after one of his shows um, who basically came up and talked to him a little bit, handed him a Bible, um, knowing that he was, he was an atheist. Um, and, you know, he just talks about how it was a really encouraging engagement. The guy wasn't crazy. He wasn't a jerk. He was very gentle. And, and I think this guy, Pendulette, has a, a very interesting take. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or, or talk about their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not talk about God? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I find this very convicting, especially coming from a guy that flat out believes there is no God. In, in a much more constructive and, I think, authoritative manner, Paul gives a similar encouragement at the end of his second letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Tell your story. Which is ultimately his story. Paul recognized that it was a matter of eternal significance and of the utmost timeliness. Because we don't know the day or the hour of Jesus' return, and we don't know what tomorrow has for us or for others. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. He said that we are his witnesses. We are his plan for spreading the gospel. There is no plan B. I hope you have heard me use us and we and ours um, throughout this sermon. Because this is the fourth time I've done this over the past three years, and this was by far the most difficult. And I'm not sure if it was because we were trying to kind of loosely track with this book or because it was the first time I was trying to wrap everything up. But I think it was more so just because this is extremely convicting for me. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell the story or not, but I got the time. So, um, as, you, as you heard in my testimony, I, um, I didn't always live my life um, shining the light of Jesus. Um, Many would say oftentimes I still don't, so I'm a work in progress thing. Um, but I, uh, I grew up in Baltimore. I 
or just outside Baltimore. I was there for about 25 years when I moved up here. Um, and I still keep in touch with some friends down there. And, um, you know, n none of them are believers. And, and there are a few in particular that I've, you know, I've had some loose conversations with and, and kind of worked on a little bit when it kind of fit into my schedule. Um, but I got, a, I got a text from one of my, one of my best friends down there last, uh, about February. And he said, you know, Dave, just, just give me a call when you get a chance. You know, we, we always miss each other, so it's good to kind of set up some time. He said, give me a call when you get a chance. I got some news for you. And so, um, you know, Sarah and I had just, uh, Sarah had had Jack. We now have Jack. I don't, I don't know what the right parlance for that is. Um, but we had just had, a, you know, our little guy, um, you know, within the last year, and I had talked to uh, this guy about it. And, and so I knew having a family was kind of in his priority list, so I, I was thinking that he was calling to say, um, hey, we're, we're pregnant. Um, but I got on the phone with him, and he said, uh, Dave, I just want to let you know my, my dad has pancreatic cancer. And if you, if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's not good. Um, it doesn't get beat very often. Um, and so I, I was kind of, you know, struck by that. This guy that I had, you know, known really well back in the day, I didn't, I didn't talk to him that much anymore. Um, but I, I was pretty confident that he, he didn't, he didn't know Christ. And so I kind of put it on my to-do list to, to make it down there and, and talk to him sometime. I, I was praying for him, but I, I, I was just kind of putting on the back burner to actually make the trip and go. I would talk to my buddy, his, his son, um, you know, every week or, or two, and, and I got to share with him a lot about, about what I believe, um, you know, why I think Jesus is the way, what he's done in my life. And that was great. But when the time came in, in April, I finally, um, I finally booked a ticket. I took a day off work, and I, I headed down there. Um, I knew he'd be around. Um, he was in chemo at that time. He didn't have a, a whole busy schedule. And, um, and I was able to go, go to their house. I got to spend some time with them. We did, we did the small talk. You know, what have you been up to? You know, how, how's the family? Um, are you ever moving back to Baltimore? I get that a lot. Um, but then some of his other friends came over and kind of, you know, interrupted, kind of cut off the conversation. And so I, I sat there, you know, out on that lawn with, with the family for another two or three hours. And I never got to share Jesus with this man. Um, you know, there were other people in his life that, that may have talked to him, his son-in-law, um, you know, I, I think, you know, knows Jesus, but um, God had put that on my heart, and I didn't step up to the plate. Um, so I, I confess that now to you guys. I, I'm still kind of working through that with God. But um, he, he passed away in June. Um, I went down there for his memorial and um, got to talk with the family a little bit more. But um, I don't know. It was a missed opportunity. Let's not miss these opportunities, guys. Jesus is counting on us. Um, Bill Hybels puts it as the weight of eternity demands our urgency. I'm not trying to sound melodramatic, 
Um, but we can't just brush this under the, under the table. We can't forget about this. We have to live a sense with, uh, with a sense of urgency about the eternal trajectory of the people that we interact with. It's too much is at stake, guys. At some point, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to say goodbye to this world. And we have an awesome, joyous place awaiting for us. But who are you going to see there? And who aren't you going to see there? Let's strive to make sharing our story an integral part of our identity in Jesus. If we believe it, we will tell people. Let's allow God to use us for his purposes by viewing people through that eternal lens. By embracing and relying and banking on the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us, to lead those interactions, to open those doors. And by living with a constantly renewed sense of urgency. Because it doesn't get any more important than this. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for your unfailing love and your faithfulness towards us. Thank you for inviting us to play a part in, in your story by sharing ours. By sharing the glorious work of what your son did for people who were in such desperate need of it. God, please help us to live every day with an awareness of eternal realities. Don't let us lose this spirit-directed kind of urgency regarding the people that you love so much that you died for. Use us, Lord. And if you are listening right now and you, you don't know this guy, Jesus, and you're, you feel like there's been something missing and, and you want to open your hands to what he can do in your life right now, um, if you want to experience that abundant life, I, I invite you to prayer, pray this prayer with me now. God, thank you for loving me more than I could ever comprehend. No matter what I've done, where I've come from, or what baggage I have. Thank you for sending your son to pay the penalty for my sins by dying on a cross and then conquering death by rising from the grave. Today I ask that you would forgive me and help me to live as I choose to follow you. Thank you for this new life in you, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen.